Hello, my name is Vincent Wall, and I'd like to welcome you to this latest series of The Future of Business podcast, brought to you by Mazars in Ireland. In this series, Mark Kennedy, managing partner Mazars in Ireland, and I, with the help of a number of specialist guests, will be assessing the growing importance of ESG, environmental, social and governance issues, for businesses. We'll discuss how regulation and legislation, at home and abroad, and the rapidly evolving engagement of investors and other key stakeholders with the ESG-related policies and practices of firms and organisations will increasingly determine their operational success, their reputations and their ability to attract customers and to recruit and retain talent. As always, I'm joined in this discussion with Mark Kennedy, Managing Partner of Mazars in Ireland. Mark, you're very welcome. Uh, broadly speaking, our theme for today? Hi, Vincent. Yeah, today we have a discussion which I've been really looking forward to, actually, because, as you know, the idea of the podcast series was to really educate me a little bit and educate other listeners in terms of what's happening in the CSG space and how we should be reacting to it. So one thing that struck me was it was very important to get a voice that really understood some of the impact on the ground for people in other parts of the world, not just business people, and, and really put things in a context, but also maybe help us understand what are the kind of things that we can do that have an impact? And to that end, I'm delighted that um, Jim Clarkin, who is the CEO of Oxfam Ireland and executive director of Oxfam International, has agreed to join us for a few minutes and give us a perspective from the NGO view as to what's happening in the world and how businesses should be interacting. Jim, you're very welcome and thanks for joining us. We might just start with getting Oxfam's view of where we are in the world in relation to this very broad topic of, of ESG. Great. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, really appreciated the invitation. I suppose um, I, I, as an optimist, you've got to start with the good stuff and start with where the world has come from where it was. So in the 20 years up to, up to 2015, globally, we managed to reduce extreme poverty um, considerably, um, an, an extra billion people kind of were removed out of what we describe as extreme poverty. But the diffi- and and some major progress was made in terms of key indicators such as maternal mortality, infant mortality, and fighting diseases. Uh, so that was up to twenty fifteen, and at, at that point, your listeners are, may remember uh, globally we signed the Sustainable Development Goals, and I was fortunate enough to be to be part of that process and to be there when that happened. Um, but what we have seen as Oxfam uh, is that even though there some some very low bar uh, extreme poverty uh, issues have been you know have have been have moved, we we are in a, in a situation where there is still an extraordinary level of extreme poverty in the world, and also dramatically uh, increasing inequality, and the inequality we're seeing now results in. Um, there are more billionaires than ever before. Their wealth is increasing by about 2.5 billion a day, but nearly half, and that, that's the very small number of billionaires equals the amount of wealth held by uh, more than three and a half billion people. And this inequality, uh, as well as causing tremendous social upheaval, uh, and we've seen it played out in elections and we've seen it played out in e- economic uh, indicators, um, it's it's also um, reversing a lot of the gains that have been made in fighting extreme poverty in recent years, and we see that across the world. And you see it in in many countries where you know the the, the top line indicator suggests that the country is developing and moving out of poverty, but then you realise that in actual fact the poorest people in that part of the world are actually 
continuing to be poor and some and the, the numbers are growing and then you have an elite few that are that are capturing the vast majority of this wealth and i mean the the gap between rich and poor um continues to widen and you know organizations that wouldn't ordinarily be allies of of a of a, an organization like Oxfam, such as the, the World Economic Forum and the IMF and the World Bank, have all indicated that this extreme inequality is one of the, the biggest threats to, to, global, to the global economy. So, um, you know, it is, it is a, something that should interest all of us. Um, so that is on, on, on inequality and growing inequality and the impact that that has and the fact that, you know, so much wealth and then associated with that political power is being captured by a very elite few. Um, and why that should concern businesses is because if if inequality continues to, to grow and move in the direction that it, it has been, if countries and parts of countries don't move themselves out of poverty, um, outside of the tremendous human rights issue that we would be fighting for, there's also a, a, a pragmatic business perspective in that um, economies aren't growing, markets are not being created, opportunities are not there for, for growth and for development. So, you know, that, that, that inequality is one of the two key challenges that we see in the world. The other is, of course, climate change and the, the impact that climate change is having and has been having for over a decade now on poorer communities particularly. And we see that, you know, the vast, vast majority of global emissions were created in the global north by by um, industrial economies. Um, you know, less than 3% was produced by the world's poor, yet they are currently the ones affected most by it. We're all going to be affected by climate change, but those uh, people living in those parts of the world are affected now and on an ongoing basis and in a very deep, uh, deep way. So there, there are lots of issues within that that are fundamental to to our collective societies. And I think one of the, the interesting things about COVID is it has broken down a lot of those borders that we felt we had, where, you know, this part of the world has traditionally been protected from extreme weather and extreme, you know, issues that, that we discuss. But then you have a you have something like this that actually we see these, these borders actually don't really exist at all. And you, you could see it in... Um, when you look at global displacement, so there are more people displaced in the world today than at any time in history. And that is largely down to conflict. It's down to hunger. It's down to poverty. And it's down to climate. So we see more and more people being displaced because of climate issues. So those two interlinking issues of, of climate and gross inequality, growing inequality, are huge threats to the world and should be of interest to business for all kinds of reasons. For all kinds of reasons, as you say, and, and I mean, you paint the, the practical reasons there why business should be interested in both those major issues, inequality and climate, because of the impact it will have on, on, on markets and, and, and on trade. But to what degree do you think the activities of business, whether whether businesses know it or not, or conscious of it or not, are actually instrumental in, in, in those inequality and climate dynamics? Well, this is this is where we we think businesses should start is to become aware, um, because we we have been working with business and we 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 have a a sort of an insider outsider approach with business and we work very closely with many business leaders across the world and have done for years, and you know, absolutely acknowledge the vital role that business has to play 
in fighting inequality and in fighting climate change and the and in creating climate justice. Uh, so business is central to the success of this um, and and to making the change happen. And in working with these uh, business leaders, we we see that, I mean, in very basically, businesses need to be aware of what's happening within their supply chain, within, within all of the activities that they carry out. What are the knock-on implications? Where are people affected? Where are potential human rights violations happening. And that might sound like a very onerous thing for businesses to do, but we do believe it's possible and we do believe that businesses have a responsibility to do this. And I suppose most importantly, from a, or, well, from a business perspective, consumers are now expecting it. I mean, consumers ultimately are the ones making these decisions. And we see more and more where um, consumer-led activism, as we have been working with um, you know, across the world in recent years, has encouraged and driven change of corporations. And how would you assess the level of awareness at this stage with the businesses you either work with or that you monitor? I think it's low, to be honest. Uh, I think it it can be very low. And then you can have more progressive uh, companies who, for one reason or another, have have been spotlighted or have, um, you know, have have suffered direct direct implications of, for example, climate change, where their their whole supply chains have been affected because of uh, flooding or because of drought or because of the impact. But what we have tried to do in working, for example, with the, the top 10 food and beverage companies in the world in recent years is try to create a, we, we created a scorecard of a, a number of indicators, including water, including climate, including women's rights, including the rights of workers within the supply chain. And rather than being critical of companies, trying to create a race to the top where companies could could score against each other, if you like, and see where they can make changes happen. And then that's the kind of insider approach. And then working with public and consumers to nudge and encourage and push those companies to make the kind of changes happen. And look, we see, you know, we need to see that that societies and businesses um, are completely intertwined in the long run. They're, they don't sit in isolation of each other. If you have a society where there's gross inequality or huge impact of climate change, the, the society is disrupted. Um, you know, people are, people are locked into poverty. Conflict is more likely. Environmental degradation is more likely. So you can't have successful businesses in that environment. So these things are absolutely mutually inclusive. And I think it's important for businesses to recognize that. And then to see within the sphere in which they work, what can they do? What, what are the, where are the key indicators from their business model that, that can have an impact on this? And what kind of a role can they play? And being realistic, what can they do now? And what can they do into the future? And how do they kind of track that journey. And then I, I suppose at a more looking at it at a more global level, I mean there are real concerns about the, you know, the indicators from business. I mean the 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 drivers, the, the short-term drivers of particularly multinationals and the, the kind of business models we have where short-term value for shareholders is 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 the primary driver and the primary driver of business decisions. We meet oftentimes business leaders who are quite visionary and want to move beyond this, uh, but they're constrained by the, the needs of the market. So, I mean, do the, should the markets be as influential as they are in determining business behavior? In the past, there was a social contract between businesses and society. And um, we need to get back to that or we need to develop a, 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 a that kind of a contract that works into the future, works for our new reality. And there are loads of, you know, positives that can be generated through new business models, through technology, through uh, the, the greater engagement of public 
uh, and the greater engagement of society. And so there is a there's a, a real, I suppose, a responsibility, but also an opportunity for business there too. And as I said earlier, I think the, I think there is a, a huge appetite from consumers, and the those companies that are seen to lead in this area will be ones that will win in the long run. You you used a, a I thought a really interesting phrase there when you described the um, the way you work with companies or you have worked with you know, companies in particular sectors, which was try and create a race from to the top. And I suppose uh, you know and I don't want to sound slightly cynical, but maybe challenging in in thinking about that. I, I was very interested a decade or more ago now in integrated reporting, which was seen as the great way of driving a different kind of race to the top. But it was broadly addressing the same the same issues. Integrated reporting was an idea that wa- that companies would voluntarily adopt reporting on all of the aspects of different kinds of capital they use, including human capital, environmental capital, and so on. And while we saw, um, I would say, a great level of adoption amongst some of the more visionary companies and amongst quite a cohort of large companies, it didn't drive a marked change in behavior throughout the business world generally, and it certainly didn't arrest some of the issues that you've cited earlier, you know, and that we're not better off today having had some adoption of that than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so I'm just interested in how how do you see that? Is there something we can do differently now if you use that kind of model? Or are we really looking at only state intervention can drive real change? I, I, I don't believe that, uh, to be honest. I, I think... You know, people who run businesses are human beings, and they they have they have a you know a strong you know so many people that I meet who run business and I worked in the private sector myself for many years, you know have a very strong compass uh, about what's right and what's wrong, um, and their their current the current drivers don't always agree with with their own thinking, um, but but here's the thing I mean the you know as we've heard business leaders across the world say to us look the pitchforks are coming you know if if there isn't a transformation in business model if the the kind of inequality that um we see in the world and continues to grow in the world um you know continues at this kind of pace we're going to see massive social revolution around the world i mean look you look at we only have to look across the atlantic and look at what's happening there now um and you know the you know and, and elsewhere, you can look at India, and you look at you can look at Brazil, and you can look at other places. But where where gross inequality uh, has led to extremes, th- those extremes are not good for businesses. They're not good for they're not good for anybody. It is in the interest of business, as I say. Uh, organizations like the World Economic Forum have been taking these issues extremely seriously and looking to 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 kind of I suppose mobilize leaders within business sectors as well as uh, state leaders. To come together to to find solutions to these issues, um, but you know there is a there is an inevitability to to having to do this. I mean the the, the climate change crisis is not something that um, you know that, that we can ignore or avoid. Uh, either we do something about it, or we the, the world goes into catastrophic climate uh, change, uh, which is which is unstoppable. So. There, there, there. Some of these are our choices and our business choices. Some of them are not, uh, and we would say on that one, it's it's not. If we don't, if we don't move the world to uh, under one and a half degrees of change within the next uh, short period of time, and bear in mind that even if it moves to the one and a half degrees of change, you still have over a hundred million people severely affected by climate change. But if we go past that, we don't know where this will end up in terms of 
global survival so and business survival. So, you know, it has to be in the interests of of businesses to to make those kind of changes and to be aware of those issues and to and to act accordingly. Notwithstanding what you say, though, Jim, and, and given that there are good people and visionary people at all levels in business, given what you also referenced, the, the tyranny of the marketplace, I suppose, and the costs involved in, 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 in being more compliant and, and more visionary, do you think, and we've talked elsewhere in this series about you know the some of the the non-financial reporting uh, requirements in in other countries and what's coming down the line, particularly at an EU level for companies in terms of what they need to report. Have you found that in terms of your engagement with companies that that either compliance reporting or actually reporting the good and positive things they 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 are doing is a way of focusing attention and, and action. Well, I think there's always a question about compliance versus not versus um, voluntary compliance. I suppose compliance with with legislation versus voluntary, uh, and cynics will always point to, um, you know, why a company is reporting on specific things if they're not if they're not compulsory, um, versus when when they must. Um, we we are working on on um, human rights within business. Uh, legislation across Europe, and it is likely to 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 move forward in in the next short while. So it will require companies to to report on a whole range of other areas that are non non financial. But look, I think I think you also have to encourage um, and acknowledge uh, positive behaviour when you see it, uh, where it it can have, and you you've you know extremely progressive companies um, that. That have seen this are, are acting in this way uh, ahead of the curve, if you like, but they're doing it in their in their financial self interest. They're not doing it uh, because they want to be nice companies. I mean, um, Unilever have been you know progressing in these areas for for many years. It's part of the business model. It's part of where they see the future. You have you know new types of businesses, the the, the kind of Ben and Jerry's type of you know sizable enough companies now that are working to to a different kind of business model where other indicators are sit alongside financial indicators as as success factors uh, and we need to see more of that i mean we need to see uh, you know i suppose the question of what what is a successful business i think we need to to move beyond our very narrow view of what that has been but it you know it'll have to be within the sustainable boundaries of what's capable of the planet and that means change, uh, particularly from a carbon point of view, uh, for those who are carbon carbon heavy heavy um, industries uh, now. What relevance do you think this has for, you know, particularly medium sized businesses in Ireland, uh, food processing, manufacturing, uh, who might think, who might you know understand where things are going, uh, agree with what has to be done, but basically say that's. That's really the responsibility of the multinationals who have a much uh, wider footprint and, and a greater and deeper impact on these issues. Well, I mean, you could say that about individuals too. So I could say, well, look, I can't as an individual do much about climate change. But then then I realise if I do, um, you know, if, if I behave in certain ways, if I consume in certain ways, if I use energy in certain ways, if I, um, you know, spend my money and invest what money I have in certain ways. Um, when that comes together with everybody else, it makes a huge difference. I mean, that is what makes a difference. So, I mean, we have a very buoyant and crucial small, medium enterprise sector here in Ireland. Um, and there is plenty of potential for those companies uh, to play their part and to be aware of the impact that their um, 
their processes have on both on on climate and on their on wider society. So simple things like yeah, obviously the emissions, but things like uh, a living wage. I mean, paying paying a living wage is transformative for people's lives. We would argue it's affordable in every instance, um, and you know then the company gets to be seen as as one that is progressive and that wants to reap the benefit of uh you know the 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 sense from the public that this is a company that cares about not just its consumers but also it's the people who are the neighbors of us um you know in society so you know there 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 are many things that small medium enterprises can do i mean they also as part of collectives um you know working with with organizations like Mazars are working under their their the, the chambers and so on you know as a collective they can have a huge impact and and will have a huge impact and Ireland as we know is is one of the worst um climate offenders per capita in the world so we have a quite a journey to go on here and um, so those companies you know and, and and look, I think that everybody's aware now that there is a big movement in Ireland, and there's a there's a, a movement at government level, and there's a always driven by the public. I mean, the change tends to come from society demanding it, and then politicians following. Um, and that's what we've seen in recent years, and that's where you know the direction of this is going because society is demanding it. Society is seeing the impact. So, where can companies then um, be part of that and say, right, okay? This is my business model. These are areas which I think I can do something about. These are areas which, you know, I'll struggle with, but maybe if I team up with others, I may be able to. Um, and then, you know, they can reap the benefits of that. Just um, if I might go back a little bit, and you mentioned your your scoreboarding, I, and I think it's something that would interest, I think, some of our clients um, who are thinking about this kind of issue. Can you just, in a practical sense, describe in a couple of steps, how, how does Oxfam engage with a company and what are you trying to achieve? And just what are the practical steps, perhaps? Well, we, we engage in, in lots of different ways, I suppose. We do it mm. working at that big multinational, international level. But we also do it in a very practical way. I mean, one of the one of the areas that, that makes a lot of sense to us as an organization is we're, we're in the fashion industry. Um, and sustainable fashion is is something that we see as, as potential for transforming the globe. Uh, there are 150 billion pieces of clothing produced worldwide every year. Uh, fashion is, 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 and 75% of that ends up in landfill or is, is incinerated. Uh, fashion is responsible for 10% of total carbon dioxide emissions, which is likely to go up to as much as 60% by 2030. So the clothing that we wear and that we, we throw out uh, has a huge impact on the environment. So we have been developing with clothing companies uh, this idea of a circular economy so um many of many companies end up uh, disposing of of end of line or of of clothing that just just uh, for whatever reason they they can't sell uh, and that goes to landfill or is incinerated so we partnered with many of these companies across Europe um to to create a a full circle of these so that they come back into the the system and that they're they're repurposed uh, and then sold as new oftentimes um throughout our our uh, retail network um, and this has the potential to save 
hundreds of thousands of tons of of material ending up in landfill all the waste of the waste of all the raw material the waste of the energy the waste of the water and the waste of the human labor that went into creating those um, so there, that's a, a kind of a practical example of work. We're working with Irish companies as well, Irish uh, high street retailers, um, and it is it is having quite an impact. So there, there are all kinds of creative ways that companies can engage, um, and we see, we see very positive role for companies if if again they identify the issues, if they're willing to, you know, to talk to organisations like ourselves and say, look, you know, we have a bit of a problem here. Is there is there something we can work on together? Um, we don't always try to be an organization that's critical. I mean, we're, we, we like to be what we call a critical friend, but we also can work discreetly with companies to try and help them uh, reach the, the kind of solutions that they, that they need. And Jim, for those companies who um, might want to develop ideas or, or come up with ideas or, or be uh, prompted by ideas, are you open to proactive approaches, whether overtly or covertly, from, from Irish companies, say? Absolutely. I mean, look, this is a this is a challenging area for companies, and and you know we completely understand that that company managers and leaders are trying to balance so many different demands at any given time, uh, and oftentimes the the expertise might not be there, um, even if the will is to to try and work in these areas. So we're always happy to speak with companies, uh, and you know, and to meet with them and and look at look at you know the kind of areas where we think they may be able to. To make progress um, and advise them accordingly, if we can, uh, for sure. And and look, um, you know, nobody has got this one hundred percent right. So I think companies need to be, you know, if if companies are are open and are willing, and you know, identify that they that there are things they can do, but they're not quite sure how the, how to get there. That's a great start. Um, one last question from me, Jim, um, which is if and and very general way. If there was one thing you thought Irish businesses could do tomorrow, what would you like them to do? I think to become aware, Mark, would be the, the thing that I would most say. I mean, to 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 be aware of the impact that their operation, both internally and externally, has on society. Uh, many positive impacts, no doubt, cr- providing key services and products that people want and need, but then what are the knock-on implications in terms of uh, labour, in terms of the use of resources, in terms of climate and society more broadly? And those might sound like very big questions, but they can be smaller questions too. And just to become aware of that, to, to have that antenna and, and not to be afraid to to ask the questions uh, or, or to you know allow others to ask the questions of them, to, to have that level of openness to, to change. Look, um, we all need to make these changes together. It's not about uh, NGOs like Oxfam telling everybody what to do. Uh, it's it's about society, business, uh, civil society, government working together to to resolve these huge, huge challenges that we have. So we all have to be open to each other's way of thinking, of seeing the world, and then of you know looking to to what kind of changes we can make within our space that'll make a difference and transform things. Well, I think 
awareness is is a growing theme of of, of this series of podcasts, and uh, I think awareness in, in our own modest way, awareness is the whole purpose of these. Uh, or try to to create greater awareness is the whole purpose of of these series of discussions. But we might leave it there for today. I'd like to thank uh, Jim Clark and Chief Executive of Oxfam Ireland and Executive Director of Oxfam International. Uh, thanks indeed for your contribution, Jim. Very stimulating, and of course to Mark Kennedy, Managing Partner of Bazaars in Ireland. Uh, until the next edition of the future of business. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Future of Business with Vincent Wall and Mazars. You can comment and rate us wherever you find this podcast or on mazars.ie. Bye for now.